Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Okay, I, I'm so excited. We are, this is the beginning of season four and my team has pushed me to do video and I'm so excited because you get to meet my beautiful guest today, Patrick Crane. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him and this video thing, Patrick, it's new for me. So we're, we're getting a little, we have to grow. And the only way we grow is, is getting out of that comfort zone. So I'm, I, my foot is right out of that comfort zone today. So laughter, bloopers, everything's permitted on this show. Any, any kind of witty candor. So first of all, a huge shout out to Steve Cadigan because he was on the show and when we stopped recording, he said, you need to meet my friend Patrick. He, he's got to be on your show. So I don't want to say your biography because I believe it's our own right as people to tell our story. You are the chief experience officer of Open Solar. I haven't had a CXO on the show. So I know our listenership, which is in 65 countries, and we're very proud of that. Tell them a little bit about what you do as a CXO and a little bit about Open Solar, and then we'll get into our interview. How does that sound? That sounds fine, Deb. Um, CXO, well, well, really simply, it is a job that's responsible for the experience your customers have. And it's holistic. It's end-to-end from the moment they hear about you to the experience they have of signing up and procuring your product or, or using it, all the way through to this kind of support they get. Um, and the kind of feeling they walk away with. So it's a pretty uh, end-to-end job, um, involves lots of different pieces. Uh, and Open Solar generally is a software platform that uh, is provided free of charge to solar installers all over the world. And it's designed to help them design and sell solar much, much faster. Um, because as we all know, there are climate targets we have to hit and solar adoption needs to speed up. So put simply, that's what Open Solar does. And it's it's got to be rewarding to work for such a company, given what we're seeing in the world and and how we're trying to fight climate change. And I just think that's fascinating. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to come up in our leadership questions. So my first leadership question is, as a C-suite leader, you have worked, I, I, I did my due diligence on you. You have worked in five markets on three continents for 25 years of experience. Share with us the richness that you feel that you bring in transferable skills to your current role as a C-suite leader at Open Solar. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I think that uh, curiosity uh, has to be kind of the, you know, something that I've always aspired to have, and, and, and I, I think I have. I like to understand complex situations. I like to understand, really I love to understand why people do what they do, why they think the way they think, the decisions that they make, and try to get to the bottom of that, and then try to design products and experiences and, and, and things around them that will have an impact in their lives. And 
that. I learned that super early on back at Vodafone in the UK. Um, and I've tried to sort of carry that forward through my career. Um, so that's a big one. The other thing too is I think there's a misconception that leaders gain all this wisdom and and the wisdom and experience is attached to your title. So mm -hmm. I love that you lean into curiosity because it leads nicely into my next question. Do you believe that as a leader, regardless of the level, that it's important to bring in that awe and wonder aligned with curiosity to keep learning. And if you don't, a complacency can easily set in. So can you talk a little bit to that over, over the span of the career you've had for 25 years? Yeah, sure. But I think you, you hit a really good point a moment there because it doesn't matter what, what kind of leader you are. You can be a leader in an individual contributor role and two years into your career, or you can be kind of towards the end of your career like I am. Um, so I just wanted to pick up on that and say, you know, well, well, well done for pointing that out. Yeah, I think that complacency is a problem. And when we got so much information coming at us, we tend to sort of say, well, this is my reality. This is what I understand. And I'm going to stick within this because it's comfy and it's real and it's certain. And I'm going to base all my decisions on, on the reality that I've constructed for myself. But that's a trap. Um, and you just have to be ready to be proven wrong and open to be proven wrong. Um, and that, that sort of demands curiosity. You have to you have to be prepared to second guess every every assumption that you've made, and you have to also be prepared to let let really really capable people in your teams second guess you. Right? Um, like as CXO, um, I don't get to talk to solo professionals every day, but my team members talk to you know ten fifteen a day, and I never assume anything. I can't right because I'm just one layer removed from what's going on. Um, so yeah, I, I think that. Uh, Having that sort of curiosity and desire to desire to know uh, is, is mission critical. I think, I think the other thing that I find fascinating is CEOs either get comfortable or super uncomfortable with saying, I don't know. And you just made such a great point. The whole premise of C-suite leaders is to surround themselves with a team that has the expertise in the areas that they don't and lead them, but still lean in with awe and wonder and curiosity. And I love the vulnerability of C-suites when they do say, I don't know, Let, let's find out together. Let's go do some research. I think it's just a reinstatement or a renewal of culture on an ongoing basis when a, when a C-suite can do that. Do you find that something that you do on a regular basis, given the example you just gave about your 15 team members and, and you are one layer removed. Is that something that comes easy to you? Um, yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, leaders still have to sort of put a position forward and say, hey, I think we should go over here. What do you think? So I, I don't think I've never been one to sort of sit around a table and just have kind of a, a community discussion. I think leadership does involve saying, you know, I've taken I've taken all this input. I think this is the direction. But I think a really good trick for leaders is to then say, Am I right about this or is this, is this wrong? And come on, everybody, let, let's have at it. Let's tear it down if we need to. Open to a better idea, but, you know, make people feel as though their expertise counts, that their years of experience count for something, and that they feel free and able to tear stuff down and say, actually, I disagree and I think this part's wrong or it's all wrong. So, yeah, I, it's hard sometimes because you, 
you know, you pride yourself in trying to do a good job. You pride yourself in having become an executive. And so there's always a little bit of ego in there saying, well, I, you know, I, I know things. But um, the truth is you never know everything. So you have to just create an environment where they can pull stuff apart and you have to be okay with that. Well, and you've just really done a beautiful job of setting the stage of having a meeting that has a premise or foundation of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And I think there there's nothing better than a C-suite leader with humility that's like, okay, what's your opinion? What, what works? What doesn't work? But tell me why. And And wanting that other vantage point, I think that's humility at its best. I love that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Dad, I will say just to be just to be fair, you know, this is not something that I, I've I've always had. Right, I've learned the hard way. I, I didn't used to do that. I used to sort of say, "This is the direction," and I, I would feel kind of sometimes I'd feel annoyed that people had different points of view, um, and I, I'd get frustrated with the extra time that it took to get everyone's perspective. And you know, it, it's not something I've always done well. I, I I have regrets about not having done that earlier in my career, but I've just like you said, learned over 25 years. This is the way you do it. And I think most C-suites can can say that. It, it segues nice into my next question. My next question has been on the show since episode one, leader one. What imperfections do you feel that Patrick brings to his heart-centered leadership? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have always struggled with um, kind of in, impatience, um, I, I think I, I think I can see the answer, and I just want everyone to get around. You know, you get on board and let's let's go for it. Um, and I'm I'm always conscious of of the watch ticking, the clock ticking, time going by, um, and so I've I've struggled with that my whole career. Um, and so uh, I, I remember, you know, Steve Cadigan um, and I met during the the early LinkedIn years before we got you know really really big. And he brought a ton of that um, that sort of insight to me around um, being able to build a team that that felt empowered, you know, to have those ideas. And it again, it's such a psychologically safe place, and I I think it's a well learned, seasoned, experienced C suite that gets there. And I often joke, I had a CEO say to me this week, sometimes it's okay to eat humble pie. I'm I'm not my title. I'm not my stature. At the end of the day, I'm, you know, a husband, uh, a family man. I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a grandpa. Like I wear lots of different hats. And if I keep striving on the perfection highway, I'm going to finally realize that it's always been an intangible reality. And I thought that was super powerful. So... I love your honesty and humility to say it's been a learned kind of lesson for you. And 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 I think anybody in leadership, if we're talking about climbing the the proverbial ladder, I think everybody has a story like that. I think that's what makes us all relatable as human beings. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think that the trick is to is to remember where you've messed up and then say, well, what am I gonna how can I how can I do this differently? Yeah. Um you know, to to your point about um vulnerability and family, you know, we, Open Solar is, what, what are we now, 75 people, you know, growing really, really fast, ship, distributed all around the world. A lot of young people in in the team, which makes me feel super old, uh, part of our discussion before we got going today. Um, but some of them are starting to have families. And, and part of the vulnerability I try to show is that, you know, 
I'm my, my kids are teenagers, but I'm still completely committed to them. And, and I'll take meetings from the car and I'll say, Hey, I'm sorry. I had to run my daughter to, to, to horse riding or whatever it is. And, and I think if you sort of present the sort of balance that you're always trying to strike, then they, they're going to feel that it's okay to also, uh, be vulnerable and share that they're trying to juggle multiple balls, raise a family, that kind of thing. And, and, and so, um, if you can practice family first, then they're going to feel like they can do it too. And they can have some balance in their career with, when they're working in your teams, you know? Well, it's like anything else at your level of leadership or any level of leadership. If you model that that's okay and you also add in self-care and we're not meant to work, you know, a gazillion hours a week and, and run ourselves into stress and, and fatigue right. and burnout. Right. I think that's a great leader that they can say, I'm going to go do this or not taking your holidays and letting them add up or not taking a sick day or we all have trauma and loss in our life. And if we have a leader who models that and understands it, there's not an apprehension to say, I need to go and do this. Yeah, I, 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 I fully agree. And, you know, to bring this down to kind of practical things that maybe the listeners might might find useful. One thing I've just gotten so much joy out of Open Solar is, um, you know, there was a time a few weeks ago, teams were feeling it. They were feeling the pressure, big numbers had to hit them. And so um, I started, I, I created this little Slack channel. Slack's a huge thing for us at Open Solar. And I created a Slack channel called Open Solar Wellbeing. And I encourage people to just put things in there, say, hey, I'm taking a 10 minute walk. I'm having a glass of water. I'm doing this, that, and the other. Uh, and, and the leadership all participates in that. And so people say, I took 15 minutes to walk my dog. Look at, look at the view. Or, and there's actually right now, there's a hydration challenge going on um, where people are trying to out drink, out drink each other with water just through the day. So sometimes it's just, it's just little things where you are visibly kind of investing and participating. And, and like you said, kind of sending, kind of um, setting a bit of an example. But um, with the other thing that, that we implemented um, just on well-being. Uh, was open day. We did this at LinkedIn as well. Steve and I and a guy called Steve Sordello uh, worked on this concept um, to have one Friday every month free for you to do whatever's been on your mind, however however you want to take care of yourself and do something on top of all your holidays. So it's 12 extra days on top of the, the holiday allocation. But at Open Solo, we call it um, open day. And it's open to you to do whatever you want with um and so again, actively posting, hey, I used my open day to do this. I didn't actually sit at my desk and catch up on work. I was out there too. I got out in the open. I did this. I took a bike ride. I went out and did this. So so all these are sort of practical examples of, of kind of trying to walk the talk and, and, and sort of informally providing permission to all the teams to say, this is good. This is okay. And they're doing it. So I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be proud of it. You know, yeah, and you know what I love about that is it's like the hydration day. Yeah. It's like a informal team building exercise. And who doesn't love a little bit of competition? And everybody's getting their hydration in. So it's a whole nuance of corporate wellness. Because when I was case managing, corporate wellness always had the negative connotation of mitigating the claims and how do we get the people back to work? And now it's, we're front loading it in how do we look after our people 
not even just from a retention standpoint, but like you talked about at the beginning, your leadership is holistic. You are leading that whole person on your team. So when when they need to lean in and have an open day and it's not open day, that's going to be okay. And they're going to be vulnerable, but have no fear to come to you to say, Patrick, I need to have this day and this is why. Because you've you've allowed that psychologically safe environment and culture. And I think that's powerful. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that we've had a, a number of, uh, a number, I mean, a handful of, terrifically talented people at Open Solar in the past year say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm struggling with mental health. I'm having this or that issue. And that's it. I think that's, you're right, Deb, that, that when they do that, that's actually an encouraging sign that, you know, together with the other execs, we've kind of created that environment where they, they can literally just come to you and say, hey, I'm struggling. And, and they are not trying to say, hey, I want less work, I want less responsibility. They're literally just being vulnerable and saying, I'm struggling, I don't have an answer. Can I, can I get some help? Absolutely. Yeah, so it's, 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 I think it's working well. But the fun thing I'll say is that I think the productivity of this team, despite, open, despite I think it's four weeks of holiday a year, plus 12 extra days, open day, uh, you know, plus all the sick days and all the other things, I haven't seen any productivity loss. And I've had, I've had, yeah, we've had zero uh, regrettable losses at the company um, over the two years that we've been building this up. So it works. I'm, I'm a firm believer in it. You, you've created a healthy, vital culture. And it's thriving. You're not losing any progression. And there's nothing better than when a leader can say, somebody came to me today and said, I'm struggling. The trust and rapport for a person to come to someone at that level and share that conversation to me is priceless. And for them to lean in and what do you need? How can I help? It's really starting to really change across the globe. And like I mm-hmm. said, corporate wellness has taken on a whole new face. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And just to give you an example, you know, obviously not 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 quoting names, but a really talented guy on the team um, was extra apprehensive about coming forward and sharing what he was going through because in a prior role, he had done that and got demoted as a result. So he was extra apprehensive, but he still came forward. And uh, I can guarantee you his career is thriving now. Well, you know what? Sometimes it's just having the right leader at the helm, right? Hope so. So my last leadership question is kind of fun. If I, if I came back and asked the younger Patrick, let's say the 20, 25-year-old Patrick, if you were going to have a conversation with the younger version of Patrick today, what would you share in terms of lessons and experiences and maybe things that the younger version of Patrick worried about? Yeah, I, the one thing leaps to mind, and, and that is um, be in the moment and stop overthinking things. Um, I was constantly, constantly obsessed with what was next, what was future, what was coming. And not just in my uh, professional life, but my personal life as well. Really, really bad at living in the moment and appreciating things for where they were. A a great manager I had um, back in my Yahoo days, actually, back in the Yahoo heyday, a guy by the name of David Remus took me aside aside one day and he said, um, he goes, I want you to just get up in the morning have a delicious cup of coffee and just think, this is a good day. 
Like, what a delicious cup of coffee that was. Um, and I, I laughed at him at the time and teased him about it. <laughs> but now I see the wisdom in it. It's just a simple idea, right? But you just need to be in the moment and appreciate things for the way they are. And I, I honestly think my career would have gone better if I'd done that because I would have been more attentive to opportunities in the here and now, not on what was over the next hill, you know? So I think that, that would be the main thing. With that, I would say just a greater appreciation of the people around me. Uh, the older me would have said to the younger me, take more time to acknowledge your teammates, not people on your team, but just the people around you who are doing a kick-ass job. People need that. And, it, you know, it, and, and the sort of high-paced tech environment that I've spent my career in, it, you know, most people don't do that. They don't just say, hey, I'm recognizing you today because you did this fantastic job. LinkedIn had this feature. We launched this feature like way back in the early days where you could just do the at in someone's name and just, just tag someone and say, hey, I'm, I'm appreciating this person today. So LinkedIn obviously lets you do it publicly, but whether you do it publicly or whether you just do it on Slack one-to-one -one or an email or just in a small group setting, is to just appreciate people more and recognize the incredible job they're doing. Um, so, so those are probably the two things I, the old, old me would have told younger me. Well, and I just going back to that Slack example, so many of the companies that I'm working with around the globe have done a similar thing. And it's, it's a millisecond of time, but it has huge return on investment. And it's, it's that, it's the connectivity. It's the pride of water or whatever it may be. Like you said, you have lots of different things going on, but at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing and, and we all want to be seen and heard and validated. And it doesn't matter how it's done. The modality is not the, the important part here. When somebody recognizes something that you did and it just comes natural, uh, that's priceless. Couldn't agree more. Okay, we're going to switch to my Fab Four. Just four fun questions. I, I can't wait to hear your answers here. Okay, if you think about leadership language, because it's another thing I love to talk about, What's a, what's a repeat word for you that shows up in a meeting? Is there a phrase or a certain word that you use when, when you're kind of motivating or, you know, take, take the example you just got through your team when, and hitting their big numbers and what's a phrase or a leadership language that's kind of been anchored in your style? Um, I think I use the word love a lot. Um, I love the idea. Uh, you know, I love you for saying that. Um, uh, I love where we're going. I use that word a lot, but I, you know, I, I, I'm, I got a lot of love to give. So that's, that's a word I use. And, and I'm not afraid of using it. And I, I think that, um, you know, leaders shouldn't be afraid of using that word because uh, oftentimes if you react, if some, some like this morning, um, uh, one of the team members in the UK just reacted so brilliantly to, to kind of a new focus that we've got and just turned, turned his focus it, it, like on a dime. And I just, I just said, I, I love you for the work you're doing. I, I love, I love how fast you pivoted and how you've refocused. And yeah, we, I think we shouldn't be afraid of, of using it, using that word. Um, yeah, that's probably the main one. Well, you know, I'm doing the happy dance here because that that's an, I believe that that has a place in leadership language. I think it has a place in business acumen, which you just said that you're using it and have used it. And who wouldn't want to hear that? That's, that's amazing. 
Great word. Is there a quote that you have read somewhere, any any juncture of your life, juncture, that's a hard word to say, that really has kind of sat with you and you've carried it with you in your heart? Yeah. Maybe maybe it's shown up in your leadership. What's the quote and who said it? Uh, I've had one outstanding mentor in my life. Um, really early on in my career, a guy by the name of Brian Clark. He was the CEO of Vodafone Australia, New Zealand, where I used to live and work. Uh, Brian was um, as much a father figure as a, as a, as a mentor. I just loved him to bits. He, um, he said, uh, he told me once, if you're encountering a problem in your personal life or your professional life, the first place to look is yourself. What are you doing contribute to this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's like other things, you know, it's one thing to remember it. It's another thing to practice it. And, you know, you, but, but it's, it's such a great piece of wisdom. Um, and I go back again to, and again and again and again to it. And when I see a problem, I try to say, all right, this may sting, but what am I doing to contribute to this problem? Uh, it, it's just great advice. Well, And I find that leaders, again, at any level, when they are tapped into that height of self-awareness, it it allows them to be holistic, which is what what you've spoken of during this whole interview. And we always have a level of contribution. Sometimes we just don't want to turn the mirror to see how much. So that's, that's a powerful one. Yeah. Okay, third question. Who's a leader... I want whoever's on top of mine, they could be living or they might've passed away. Who is a leader that inspires you? Maybe you've aspired to be the leader that they are. Who is that leader and, and why do you, why, why are you inspired by them? I'm not beautiful enough or powerful enough to aspire to be him, but Muhammad Ali has inspired me since I was a little kid. Um, absolute self-sacrifice, um, utter fearlessness incredible communicator um, could just could make someone feel as high as the skyscraper just by focusing 30 seconds of his attention on them. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, I think uh, the, the role he played was huge in moving things in helping move things forward. Um, so yeah, I just always adored him. Um, was very sad on the past. I'm going to give you a goosebump moment. Are you Ready. Ready. I had to go to Australia when I was 27 because I was working for the Australian Department of Defense. And on my way home, I think I was connecting. I forget what airport it was. And you know how you're walking through the airport and sometimes the two lanes can merge? Yeah. And guess who was walking beside me? No way. Was it him? It was him. And he had he had like a caregiver and he was really shy. And I was just like... Oh my God, do I say something? Do I not say something? I'm the 27-year-old Deb, right? And I was like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. And he just stopped, he smiled. And I said, I'd love to have your autograph. And he was really, really shaky. And he had like a briefcase and he put it down. And I had a business card. Like I, I was ready to get out of flight. So it's all I had. And he, his little shaky hand um, and then he kind of gave me a half hug and told me to have a good day. And I, and, I, and my husband was like, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's funny because this is the second time, like we've done over 250 episodes of the show. This is the second time that somebody has brought him up that it was just, he was so meaningful. And 
it always anchors me back to the memory of of when I met him. He was he's a legend. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the many things he did so well was that when there was a difficult conversation, and he never shied away from difficult conversations, uh, he he used humor in such a you know a, a heartwarming and kind of touching and alluring way. You know, just that smile and that ability to to, to take a tough a tough situation, a tough conversation, but still leave in some humor to kind of relax and disarm people a little bit. And um, he was a master of that. Um, I, and again, I, I can only, I can only do a, a you know, a weak impression of, of that kind of leadership, but yeah, he was something else. Yeah. That's, um, he, he was incredible and it's funny how he keeps coming back on the show. It's amazing. Okay. My last question, I used to, on previous seasons, ask people to finish this sentence and I decided in season four, I want to turn it back on the leader that I'm interviewing, kind of like that self-awareness piece we were just talking about. So my last question is, how do you feel you're a heart-centered leader and does it show up every day in your in your leadership as a CXO? Um, I think that, uh, I, I would like to think it shows up every day. Um, I, I, I love body language. I love the fact we have Zoom now and Google Meet and all the other video tools because now you can get a much better sense of someone, how they're really feeling, what else might be going on in their lives. So, um, yeah, I try to, I try really hard to understand, you know, how they are, how they're doing, what they're saying and why they might be saying it. It goes back to that thing right at the beginning of our talk, right? Curiosity. Why did they say that? Why did they say it that way? What else might be going on? What, what might have driven them to say it in that particular way? Um, and so, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll kind of say, hey, can you hang back for a couple of minutes? I just want to ask you something. And it'll be to sort of say, what's going on? Why did you answer it that way? So I, I, I really hope that I, I come across as that, you know, fatigue might sometimes get in the way and I, I might be kind of just exhausted. Um, but I, yeah, I, 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 um, when I started this job, at Oconsola, um, Birchie, who's the co-founder and an old, old friend, um, said, you know, was trying to persuade me to come on board. And, and I said, I don't want a team. I'm happy to join. I don't want a team. I'm done with that. Um, and surprise, surprise, now I have the largest team in the company. is about 35 people. Um, but, I, you know, Birchie knows that he's a wise man and he, and he knows that um, I, I, I do love it. I love the... I love assembling a team of talented, passionate, capable, brave people. And I get so much energy from that. You know, I, I sometimes liken it. I sometimes call them, um, I, I liken myself to a little guy sitting on his stagecoach going across the wild west. And I got these beautiful horses, mm. you know, and, and all I've got to do is try to keep them on the track because they have so much energy and drive. Um, and I, I, I tell them that too. I'm not sure they may or may not appreciate that, but, um, I get so much out of it and they, they can see how much joy I get out of being part of the team and leading it. And now uh, hopefully that, that comes across. Well, absolutely. And uh, I can see why Steve wanted us to connect and why he thought you should be on the show. I think it's pretty evident. So thank you for being imperfect and thank you for being heart-centered. And my favorite part of this conversation is that you use love in your leadership language every single day. And that to me just further shows that heart-centered leadership has always had a place in business acumen. It's just not every leader is willing to 
adapt that into their style and you've made it evident. And I think that's why you've been so successful. So thanks for hanging out with me and, and opening season four. It's been a delight. Yeah, Devin, and thank you. And thank you for the work you're doing. Um, you know, it, it's really important to shine a light on this stuff. Um, and, and the thing is, once you get inspired by it, you, you, you can't help but try to practice it. So, so great job for the work you're doing. Thank you so much. So we're going to put all of Patrick's details below in the podcast episode description. I hope you will go and check out Open Solar. I think it's amazing what they're doing, especially with the climate change initiatives and, and doing the software for free. And just a reminder, because you get to see it behind me now, I, uh, I'm done all my revisional edits on my book and it's physically coming out in September. And I I look forward to doing many fireside chats. So thanks for joining me for the opening of season four on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, Feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. Looking to master the art of heart? Head over to our website at debcrow.com and watch out for Deb's new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, coming in September. 